today we want to look at the book of uh, Psalm chapter 1, Psalm chapter 1. And the reason uh, uh, we, we want to camp there today is because there's a word that we use a lot, especially in our Christian circles, blessed or blessed. We say it a lot when we want to be kind and sound Christian. We say it a lot, especially to each other. Thank you very much. God bless you, you know. Uh, you are so blessed. To another team, it could be as we're starting 2024. Maybe your word for the year is blessed, blessed of the Lord. You know, I know who I am. I am blessed of the Lord. But I don't know whether you've ever taken time to stop and truly ponder and ask yourself, what does it mean? What am I saying when I say I am blessed? And the best thing to do as Christians and as a people who are submitted to God is to go back to the scriptures and say and try find out who is a blessed person, who is a blessed man. And the cool thing to do that I think I kind of enjoy because I'm not in, in theology school yet is what I hear my learned pastors here, you know, Kina Reverend Philip Madenge, the thing they do, the Hebrew meaning for that word. And today I get the opportunity to tell you the Hebrew meaning for the word blessed. But the reason they do that is because the original manuscripts when the Bible was being written were written in that language. And sometimes, you know, in translation, some meaning can get lost or we might water down what the other was originally trying to communicate. So as good people, as good students of the word, we are taught to go back to the original meaning, right? And find out what did it mean. And from my little re uh, research that I was able to do, we see that the word, uh, the word blessed in Hebrew means happy, joyful, content, fulfilled, are you following? Do you see those English words that are, that are describing this? So, a blessed person or blessed means you're happy, you're joy, joyful, you're taking pleasure in, you're content and you're fulfilled. And one thing I believe, especially now that we are starting this new year, we are not too far off, so I'm still on the new year game. We are not too far off. I believe that every one of us here would love to be joyful, to be content, to be fulfilled. Is that true? Is that the case? But the truth also is that every now and then, as humans that live in this world, we look for contentment and fulfillment in so many places outside there. We look for contentment and fulfillment in relationships, in jobs, in sex, in positions, in achievements, etc., etc. But what we would like to do today is to examine someone that addresses this question on who is a happy, who is a content, and who is a fulfilled person. So please turn with me uh, to the book of Psalm chapter 1. Are we there? Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by the streams of water that yields fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, 
but are, like, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. And that is the word of God. Thanks be to God. How I'll go about this text today is I will try go verse by verse, see what it means, and probably try to find out together what is the Lord saying to us. So that will be my approach for today. But specifically to Psalm chapter 1, they say it's not very clear who wrote this book, this specific chapter. Some people say it was David, others say that it, it, it was Solomon. And the reason they say it was, it might have been Solomon is because this psalm is considered to be, to be like a wisdom psalm. You know, when you read, you're being instructed and told what to do and hear. So there's some, uh, there's some wisdom in a sense that you're being instructed to follow or to know what to do as a person who fears the Lord. The chapter though, essentially, whether it was written by David or Solomon or whatever, the chapter feels also like a summary of the 150 chapters of the book of Psalms if you've ever gone through it. If we, you know, as we go analyzing one by one, for those who've read the full, uh, the full book of Psalm, you, you will be able to see Psalm chapter one and a bit of chapter two feels like a summary of the whole book. Let's start with verse one. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. The psalmist starts by telling us what a blessed man does not do. It's an interesting approach. It's, it's, in a, it's like he's starting in the negative. And, and I know most of us here are never at home when you're being instructed, kwanza na kutolewa makosa. Don't go there, don't go there. Sometimes I, I laugh at my, uh, my colleagues here who are parents when we, the, the topic of gentle parenting comes up. No, you should not keep saying don't, don't, don't. Show the way instead. But looks like scripture is introducing another idea, almost telling us when you tell someone, no, mm -mm, you shall not walk in that direction. You're right and you're not a harsh parent. And another thing we notice, you will see Paul, especially if you, if you read the, the letters of Paul much later, there are many instructions that he gives believers that start with warning, telling you, don't do that. Believers, don't do that. And we feel this is what this psalm is starting by telling us. But this is what it says. This man does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, stand in the way of sinners, nor sit with scoffers. Notice three verbs that have been used in that one verse, in verse one. The verbs are walk, right? Do you see that? Stand and sit, right? These words are metaphors. They are metaphors for the, to show progressive internal attitudes. And this is what I mean. It's not literally this blessed person, this happy and contented, fulfilled person should not literally walk with these people. It's an inward posture of the heart that is being addressed. But it's being stated and told in a progressive manner. Does not walk, does not stand, and does not sit. Do you see that? They notice the progression. It's from casual identification. Does not walk, you know? The, the walking, you're not merely with this person, but we are walking together. It, pro, it progresses from that, 
casual identification with the scoffers, with the sinners, with the mockers, to complete association. Think about it. You walk, the next thing, hey, what, what are they doing? There's much more interest that's settling in your heart. When you stand, because there could be drama happening around somewhere, you just walk by it, you see, and then pass by. But then the next step, you go and pose, hey, I think I'm kind of interested to know what is going on there. Then the third thing you do, let me sit down. Mm -hmm. What are you guys seeing? What do you mean? There's complete association with whatever is going on. Do you follow me? That's what is happening. When you sit, you have made an intentional effort to indulge and associate with those that are there. You're not just a passerby. You are associating, you have in a sense decided, I'm going to associate with this. The sinners, the mockers, the, the, those that are scornful are those that are separated from God. They are the ungodly. They have rejected Jesus Christ. So what's the, this verse telling us? The blessed person chooses not to associate themselves with those people, with the sinners, with the scoffers, with the mockers. This is what the blessed person does. He chooses that they will not associate themselves with worldliness. That's what essentially it means. The blessed person says that they are not going to engage with those that mock the name of God because a rejection of Jesus Christ is a mockery to God because of what he has done for us. But the blessed person says, I will not do that. The blessed person decides that they will not fill themselves with worldly wisdom and philosophies of the world. Because when you do, you slowly by slowly start becoming cynical on matters God. You start slowly by slowly as you walk, as you sit, or rather as, as, as you stand, as you sit, you slowly by slowly start making fun of those that believe those that call themselves believers in the church. All of a sudden, I go, ah, you holy Joe. Ever wondered where that word came from? It's like you're, you're laughing at this person who seems, you're calling yourself, you're more pious than us. What are you saying? Slowly by slowly, as you associate with ungodly, that's what's happening. The world, church, here's another one that you want to know when you start associating with the ungodly. Church starts becoming an option. Ah, it's never serious. See, see, church, see, Christ lives in me. See, church is just a building. I am the church. You know those statements to justify your actions for not doing the right thing? That's another one. If it happens, you need to pause and ask yourself, are you following the right path? Statements like, I like this one, I'm spiritual, but I'm not religious. I'm not into those deep stuff, you know? But I'm spiritual, but I am, you know? Something like, statements like, I know there's a higher power, but I don't necessarily subscribe to it. See, Bora, me, I know. I, but you do not want to get slightly deeper into it and know what's this higher power. You just know. This blessed person, if you slowly, you a believer here, slowly start associating yourself. Slowly by slowly, these are the words you start saying. These are the words that start coming out of your mind. It is a slow fade. It is a spiral downward trend. 
You start becoming at home. All religions lead to God. Sibora, they all believe in God. Ah, me, me, I think Christians are very selfish. Christians are very selfish. They only think God is their only way, Jesus Christ. Look at your heart. Look at the parts you've been. Look at who you've closely been associating yourself in. If that slowly by slowly is coming to home to be. That is the person who associates with the ungodly. So verse 1 tells us who the blessed, what the blessed man does not do. Does not walk, does not stand, and does not sit with the scornful, with the sinners, with the ungodly. But I thank God because after telling us what not to do, and again back to my parenting topic, Maybe we can learn a thing from there. He does not only leave us, some of us who are traumatized by our parents, ni mesema, see I'm the father here, I have said and that's it. God is not like that. God goes ahead in verse two to tell us what a blessed person does. Isn't God gracious? Isn't he generous? He is a good father. He tells us what a blessed person does. There's a conjunction used there, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. The conjunction, but, refers up there what was happening up there. The blessed person, after not doing this, this is what he should do. Two things, he delights and meditates on the law of the Lord. Let's ask ourselves a question. What is to delight? This blessed person has joy and takes pleasure in the word, in the law of the Lord. While others are taking and having delight in silver and gold and secure dwelling, when they're, having, uh, they're, having, they're, they're taking delight in power, in fame, in money, in sex, in being a celebrity, the righteous person takes pleasure in the law of the Lord. I'm reminded of a verse in Psalm 119 that David says, Psalm 119 verse, verse 103, he says, How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. That's what a blessed person does. Reads the law of God, leads, reads the instructions of God, and says, Oh my God, how sweet are your words to my soul. But then there's something he says, delights and meditates in the law of the Lord. I'd like to address something a little bit there, the law of the Lord. Different people, again, have different opinions on what this meant, especially, specifically in this text, the law of the Lord. Some say it could have been the Mosaic law that's from Exodus to Deuteronomy. Others say it was the law given in Deuteronomy. You know, when you read the book of Deuteronomy and all the instructions are there, some would say that, but while others say that it was the Pentateuch, you know, from Genesis to Deuteronomy. Some say that. But nevertheless, whether it was the law of the law, whether it was the Ten Commandments, whether it was the Israel telling them to go about, it was God's word that the psalmist is asking people to delight in. It is God's word. So you ask yourself, maybe it was the Pentateuch, maybe it was the Mosaic law, but how about us? We have the full canon of the scriptures. We as the current readers of this text, we have the full canon of the scriptures today. So what's the law of the Lord? It is Genesis to Revelation. That's what God is calling us to take delight in, to take joy in, to take pleasure in, to read and say, how sweet are your words to my mouth. 
sweeter than honey to my mouth. But maybe another question I'd like, I'd like to ask to think about and ponder and ask yourself is, what is so delightful about God's word? Jasmine, you're passionate there, showing us what David is saying. But what's there to delight in? I want you to ask yourself that question. When you read your Bible, what do you delight in? What instructions are you being told to delight in? Ponder on that. But I'll tell you what I delight in. I delight in the fact that Jesus Christ has been revealed. He has been revealed in the scriptures and I've been shown the extent he has gone to redeem my life that was doomed for destruction. I delight in the fact that it shows me I am continually choosing and making sinful choices, but he's relentlessly pursuing me so that I can enjoy fellowship and communion with him. That church, I do delight in. Do you delight in the word of God, Mamlaka? Do you delight in it? I've had a few yeses. Maybe your answer, you're seated here and is no. You can ask God to grant you delight. It's not far removed. It's not difficult for him to do. You can ask for him to say, God caused me to show what David, what David saw when he said these words. Cause me to know when you tell me to delight in it what it is that you meant. Cause me to see joy in the works, in the instructions, in the precepts, in the work of justification, in the forgiveness of sin. Cause me to see delight in that because God is able to do that. Because if he's true to what we have read in Psalm 119, his words are sweet. If he's truthful, and God is, I can confidently say that, his words are sweet. But this blessed person does not only delight in the word of God, but meditates on the law of God. That comes as the next thing. Now they say in the ancient times, reading was done aloud. So to meditate meant to read aloud and then ponder. Okay? But the meditation here that's given in, some, in, 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 in verse 2, part B of verse 2, is different from what is practiced in Eastern religion. Let me tell you a little bit about that. The Eastern religion involves the emptying of the mind, you know? Come and empty yourself. Release that negative energy. Release it. Breathe out. Exhale as you're cross-legged. I don't know what this posture means and, and with these things. It is an emptying of the mind. But the biblical meditation that God is calling us to do, it means to feel in the mind with his word. Do you see? One is emptying, the other one fills in. Let me tell you what happens when you empty. You expose yourself to deception and to evil practices of the enemy. As you're empty, you open, you leave your, your heart and mind empty for that to come in and reside in you. You empty the mind, all lies of the world, the philosophies of the world start coming in and they start making a home in yourself. But the believer does the opposite, meditates and fills his mind with the law of the Lord, with what God has done. Meditating means to ponder on to wrestle with, to chew on the word that is being given. And I love those words because 
pondering, chewing, it's because sometimes scriptures are difficult to understand. I must admit that. There are things I would read over and over again, and I have no idea what you're saying. And I still call myself a believer. Why still? Still call myself a pastor. It's even more sad. So believer, you know, it's almost like a shame. But scriptures are difficult to understand. They are hard. But don't just gloss over that text. When you go to Leviticus and all those, ma, ma, the building of the Ark of the Covenant, the atoning lamps, it should be this. Don't just gloss over it. Wrestle with it. Wrestle with that text. Look for ways until God grants you a lead. Because God does not leave us without help. He's willing. For a mind that's committed to seek him and to know him, he's willing to show you. He's willing to offer you the way. Don't just gloss over it. Think about the words and phrases that are in the scriptures. Pray them back to God. I know we stand here and over and over again and say, pray scriptures, pray what the word of God has said. Sometimes it's simple as that. It's reading something and then you go back to God and just pray about it. And I can guarantee you, your prayer time is still as rich. It's not the many words. It's not the shaking. It's, you know, that, that is fine. God is the one who truly sees the heart. But even this gentle one that just reads, blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. God, have I been walking in the counsel of the wicked? I am sorry that I have been. And I'll talk here, you're rich and it was fun and it was, it was enough. That's what praying the word is. But let me ask you, when I go back to the issue of uh, uh, Eastern meditation that I know is pretty common with Kina Yoga, with Kina Watts, there are pretty many. Right now, for those who don't have YouTube Premium, uh, if you're playing a song and then an advert comes, it's all about unleash Sidri the word, get the power, the alpha, to get Sidri to earn more money, to do all those. They are right. The world is bombarding us with all that. But let me show you something. Do you see how crafty the enemy is? And this is what I mean. He uses a biblical principle to deceive people. Because it's still meditation, it's still religion. It's still, the concept there is still meditation. He uses that. He says, even the Bible says that we should meditate. But there's something else he adds. He twists it. He is about craftiness and cunningness. That's about his business. But isn't that familiar, guys? Didn't he do this before? Do you remember the story when Jesus was in the desert when he was fasting and he came to tempt him? He's saying things that are in the scripture, but there's a, there's a tone and an addition and, a, and, and in a way that question is asked that is saying much more. Be aware of Satan and his schemes. If Jesus, if he could ensnare Jesus, if he could tempt Jesus in a sense, that's the better, the better way. Who are you to not be ensnared? If the savior of the world could be tempted, who are you to not, not to be tempted? So here's what I have to say to you, and as I say to myself, guard your life with all diligence. Guard your heart with all diligence. Be mindful of what you practice in a quest to manifest a better version of yourself. Let me tell you guys, there can never be a better version of you apart from Jesus Christ. So reading God's word, reading God's word is just the beginning. Read it, think about it. Read it, meditate on it, then do it. James has something to tell us on when it comes to doing the word. James 1.22, do not merely listen to the word and deceive yourself. 
do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at the mirror, at his face in a mirror, but after looking himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. You have to read, you have to meditate, only then will you be able to do. Only then will you be able to obey James 1.22. So guys, ask God how he'd like you to apply what you read in your life. Ask the Holy Spirit to illuminate his word, for he is able to. Psalm 119, again, I think it's verse 118, it says, Ask him to open the eyes of your heart so that you may see the wonderful things that are in the law. But do you see, guys, remember earlier there he said his words are sweet. Now he's saying there are wonderful things to see in the law of God. Ask the Holy Spirit to help you and enable you through this. So Christian, search them out. Let's go to verse 3. It says, he's like a tree planted by the streams of water that yields fruits in, in its season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. Now here we are given an analogy of a tree that's planted by the waters to describe this man who, from verse 1, does not associate with the ungodly. Verse 2, who delights and meditates on the law of God. And it's saying like, after the results of saturating yourself in God's word, results to an imagery that you are given here, a tree that's nourished, a tree planted by the waters that is nourished, that it's bearing fruit, that the leaves are not withering, even when the season is different. This same analogy is used in Jeremiah chapter 17, from verse 5 to 8, and I paraphrase it. It says, seasons of drought and heat will come, but when they do, this tree that's by the streams of water still bears fruit. And the reason it bears fruit is because there's a constant supply of the necessary nutrients for this tree to bear fruit. And just the way the water nourishes the tree all throughout, the righteous man, the godly man, is nourished by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit enables us to bear fruit all throughout the seasons. The Holy Spirit comes to you who is thirsty, you who is weary, and quenches that thirst. And you can call upon him. In fact, it's very interesting that sometimes when you read the Bible, sometimes Holy Spirit is often compared to water. And so here the interesting thing to note is a godly person needs to be connected to the Holy Spirit so that you are able to walk righteously. He says, we see scriptures like, come to me, all you who are thirsty. Remember the story of the woman at the well. He says, the water you drink, you shall never thirst again. He was referring to the Holy Spirit. Only him is able to nourish us that way so that we can bear fruit. So that Galatians 22, 522, the one we love quoting, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, forbearance or patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control becomes a reality in you. You bear this fruit when you're constantly connected and you're being nourished by the Holy Spirit. Because apart from him, we can never bear any fruit. 
And then it says, whose, leave, whose, whose leaves do not wither. It says, yields fruit and its leaf does not wither. And I'd like us to pause there a little bit. And I'll go directly to the point. Physically, we know that we are withering. We look at yourself. The wrinkles have started forming. We are withering. We, we know every day we are drawing closer to the day of our death. You look at your black hair slowly by slowly, there's some whiteness that is coming. And we make much effort to, you know, we use thousands and, and of dollars or Kenyan shillings, depending on who you are, to, to ensure that you're in a sense slowing down that process. But biology reminds you, like today I had to apply a little bit of foundation so that I, I can look a little better before you. But the truth is, I am withering. We are withering, guys. <laughs> <laughs> if that's the truth that biology even proves, huh, what then is the Bible referring here? What is it saying? I think 2 Corinthians 4.16 gives us a possible answer. It says, outwardly, day by day, we are withering, but the inner man, the spiritual man, does not wither. On the inside, God is making us new. More like him, more mature in him, in Jesus Christ. By the time we, we are getting to our deathbed, those who call themselves righteous, those who call themselves godly, it's like we are becoming more alive because of the inner work of transformation that God does for us who are godly. You are, in a sense, moving from strength to strength, even though the outward tent, which Paul, Paul calls, calls the body there, the tent that we live in, even though it's cringing and wrinkles are forming and whatever else, getting what it looks like, it says we are moving from strength to strength. So is your spirit man, is your inner man, connected and given to the lordship and submission of Jesus Christ. Do you receive nourishment from there? Are your leaves withering? His leaves, the leaves do not wither. This blessed man that's planted by the waters, their leaves do not wither. And then we have this other statement that we love, at least from my background, the church I come from. In all that he does, he prospers. Praise God. The righteous man in all that he does prospers. Maybe a question to ask here is, does this mean everything will be successful? Does it mean that there will be never, this person will never ever have failure? As I pose this question, I want to say this. I do truly believe that God does bless us materially and cause us to to physically prosper. I do truly believe that. And I see scriptures talking about that. I see Kina David. I see Kina Job. I see Kina Abraham. I see Kina Solomon excelling in wealth, being materially blessed. But I also needed to pause and ask, but how about those believers who seem to be diligently seeking the Lord, but are not prospering in the limited way we define the word prospering? What do we say of them? Do they have less of God? It's important for us to do that. If we leave the definition at material gain, we set ourselves up for frustration with God. 
if we just limit this to just material gain, nothing else, you will be frustrated. You will say this, God say this, but he's not doing it. The word prosper here are make, means to make progress or growth or to be worthwhile. As we are walking with the Lord, we make progress in him. We are able to say, like Romans 8.28 says, and we know that all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. In all things, in the good, in the bad, the in-between. So for me, prosperity is achieving what God intends for you. Understanding why God has put you where you are at. Why God has blessed you in the way that he has. Jesus was prosperous on his mission on earth. But materially, would we describe Jesus as prosperous in the way we think? Was there a great inheritance of buildings and whatever that we say the Bible saying he left his people? I think I've gotten some of you. There's no response anymore. <laughs> he was materially, he was, he was prosperous in his mission on earth, which was to redeem mankind, not just material gain to show. So this blessed man, I can confidently say this, becomes prosperous in the way we want to define prosperous, but this is, it is more than that. He achieves the purposes with, for which God created him to be, to live for his glory, to live for his fame, to serve him and make his name known throughout the earth. So the blessed man, in all that he does, he prospers. Let's go on to... So we need actually, before I proceed to verse, we need to, to really go back to our source of success and prosperity, to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and the rest shall be added unto you. The words that Jesus told his disciples in Matthew 6, 33. But then verse 4, it starts with the, 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 a statement, the wicked are not so. Everything I said up there, the wicked are not like that. The phrase contrast, especially the last statement, whatever they do prospers. Whatever the wicked does, does not prosper. The wicked are not so. The wicked here are compared to chaff. These are the husks of grain from like a grain like wheat. Or if I want to bring it home for Pastor Madenge, Mbosho, you know when you dry the ninis. So those matawi, dry matawis that are left there, those things, you know, we, you win or to ensure that they are blown away because they are unwanted. That's what the wicked are compared to. They are like chaff. The chaff is useless. We want to even burn it to light a fire and stuff, not quite to give a substance. Any light wind that blows its way just pelecas it away. That's what the, the wicked are compared to. But compare that, chaff, and this family planted tree. Are they even comparable? Is there anything to look at? So, as the blessed man who walks not in the counsel of, uh, of the wicked is bearing fruit, the, 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 the wicked does not. As they are being, as they are firmly rooted so that when, when the waters are raging around it, they are shaken, they still remain firm, the wicked man does not. As the, as the leaves, as, as, as the, their leaves are, are not withering under heat and drought, the wicked don't do that. That's what it means. The wicked are not so. So what Hadzi characterizes the ungodly, who we are now referring to in verse 4, is instability. 
those that have rejected Jesus Christ, those that walk in ungodliness. Instability is their label. Instability is their title. Verse 5. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. We see the condemnation of the wicked. They have not, uh, they, they will not, these guys, in the day of judgment, that's what we're being, we're being told, they will not stand in, a, in judgment. They will not have a case, in a sense, in the day of judgment. Here's, here's a truth that's on the side we need to know. All of us believers will stand before the judgment seat of God. At least that's what 2 Corinthians 5.10 tells us. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Jesus Christ so that each of us may receive what is due for, what is due as for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. So believers and unbelievers, they are standing before God for judgment. But this is what will happen to believers the godly, the blessed man, the one who's chosen the path, the path of the Lord. They will be judged, we will be judged for, the, for our works in order to receive our crowns and our rewards. So it's more like, how did you use your time? How did you use the gifts that I gave you? How did you bring me glory to the world as a believer? That's the judgment they will be receiving so that they can get a reward for that. But the unbeliever, however, will be judged for the sin of rejection of Jesus Christ. Revelations 20:15. Anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. But here's a special note I also want to make. We believers are still sinful. We are sinful. But the difference is when God looks at believers, he sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ imputed on us and remembers mercy and forgives us. But the unbeliever, nothing like that. That's the difference. The ungodly not standing, in, uh, st not standing the ju judgment, in a sense, means they will not pass that test of judgment. They will be found guilty. Guilty of what? Rejecting Jesus Christ. They are going to fail because they did not choose to appropriate the righteousness of Jesus Christ. As the righteous are gathered before the presence of Jesus Christ in, in paradise, the sinners will not. The sinners will be, when you are young and we would insult, there's like a thing we'll do with my siblings, Utaenda, and everybody knew what we meant. I don't know why hell is down, but looks like the way it's presented, that's what we would say. That's where the unbelievers will be. As believers are before the presence of God, enjoying him, spending great time with him, unbelievers will not be there. Verse 6. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Lastly, here we see the punishment of the wicked or the ungodly. The Lord knows the way of the righteous. And from my study, the, the word know here means more than just awareness. It means an intimate knowledge. It's a knowledge that's characterized by intimacy. I think married people are the ones who will best understand this or tell us or explain it. The intimacy you enjoy with your spouse is the kind of knowledge that is being expressed here. That's what it means, the Lord knows the way of the righteous. It means 
that he cares deeply for what is happening in your life. He is watching over us. We, the ungodly, in Pastor Madenge's word two weeks ago, are under the loving, caring gaze of our Heavenly Father. He is actively and personally involved. Church, I don't know whether you hear this. I don't know you who is a believer whether you hear this. God is intimately aware of every detail that is happening in your life, even when it doesn't seem like it. Even when you feel like he's far and distant, he is aware. And so he can be trusted. You can look to him for help. You can look to him for strength. For the way of the righteous, God does know. So take comfort in that truth. But the way of the wicked shall perish. You see the knowledge and the, and the joy of intimacy that we enjoy with God, we believers. The wicked do not have that kind of security, nor that kind of joy. They carry with them questions. They are burdened with fear and anxiety in matters life. But believers don't. We are eternal beings. There is a life after this world. Those who leave the world without confessing Jesus will live eternity apart from Christ in the lake of fire. So unbeliever, you will not cease to exist. The Bible does not teach that when you die, you cease to exist. Mm -mm. There's a place you're going to. The fact that we are told and we hear again a lot, and that's why I said be sensitive about what you listen to. That you see, when we say dust to dust, you think that's finality. That's just the outward tent that we live in. Your spirit will go elsewhere. So there is eternity. Believers and believers, there is eternity. The difference is the choice that you make. The difference is the path that you choose to walk in. Life after this world does exist. But let me address a few that may be struggling with this concept of we are calling ourselves righteous. I've even said we the righteous, we the believers, we the godly. Maybe you're struggling with that concept. And Paul does say, indeed, there is none that is righteous. We do hear Paul saying that. But this is the difference. Whoever puts his hope in Jesus Christ becomes righteous. Our sins are fully forgiven and paid for on the cross by Jesus Christ. Because no one can come to the Father except through Jesus. That's the righteousness that's granted us. I have a question for you. Which way are you on? Are you on the path of the righteous or are you on the path of the ungodly? Secondly, what do you delight in? What do you take joy in? What do you take pleasure in? What do you meditate on? I pray that you would choose Jesus. I pray that you would choose his path. I pray that you will bear his name proudly in spaces that shun you and alienate you for calling yourself a believer. Here's another prayer I have for you, that you will remain rooted firmly in him, bearing fruit in season, that the fire that is inside your soul will not be snuffed out. The hunger that comes with the new year as you're making resolutions. I will fast, I will pray more, I will read the word of God. I will go through the entire Bible. I will talk Isaiah for those cashers like we just did. That that fire will not be snuffed out. That it will keep burning. 
that you will continue bearing the name of God proudly, that you will continue quenching and, or rather thirsting and hungering after him, that you will continue pursuing him, that this will not just end by the first quarter of the new year. I was telling the first service, you're full, especially in the new year, you're full, we're overflowing, we need a tent, but we don't Tunaona tuko chapele ya 1,500 to 2,000 people, but we only have this section kama ka worship team ndio imeatendiwa. Tunasema, congregants lied to us. They showed us they are hungry after God. That would be so sad. My prayer for you is that that will not happen to us. That there will be continuity in matters God, in pursuing God, in living for him, in serving him in every space that you're in. To you, unbeliever, the word said that you will, that the wicked will perish, that the wicked will not stand in judgment. How about you choose the way of the blessed man? How about you choose to look to Jesus to save your soul? A day is coming when this choice will be out of reach. You will not cease to exist after death like we have said. There is a place that you will go where there will be eternal suffering Eternal damnation is what scriptures calls it if you do not choose Jesus. You have the opportunity now. Seize it. Take a hold of it. Give your life to Jesus Christ. He's open with arms open wide. Seize that opportunity and get to know joy eternal. Let me just ask the worship team to, to come. To come, I'd like us to to just sing a song, and I want you to contemplate as we sing this song, contemplate on what, on what we have talked about. Ask God to water you and nourish you, who is a believer. But to you who is seated here as an unbeliever, you do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ. He says your way will perish, but a chance is being granted to you to open up your heart and say, God, I want to know you. I want to receive you. I want to have you as the Lord and Savior of my life. Let me invite us to stand to sing that song as we make that prayer.